Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. So this morning, we are continuing our series. We're on the second week of a three-part message series called Fear Not. And if you missed last week, what we're doing is this. We're taking a look at three different times when angels appear to people in the Christmas story. And in each of these angelic appearances, the very first thing the angel's going to say is, help me out, fear not. not. Excellent. So last week, we saw an angel appear to Mary. And we used that story to help us overcome our fears of what God might be asking us to do. On Christmas Eve, we're going to see an angel appear to some shepherds where the angel says, fear not, for today a Savior is born to you in the town of Bethlehem. But today, we're going to see an angel appear to Joseph. And we're going to talk about overcoming our fear of what other, things, other people rather think about us. And as we get started here, I'd like a little upfront participation. So can you help me out here? How many of you would say that often you care just a little about what other people think about you? Would you put your hand up in the air and keep them up? Keep them way, way up, way, 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 way up. Okay, keep them up, keep them up. Now look around at the people whose hands are not up. I want you to point at them and say, your hand's not up because you care too much about what I think about you. Go ahead. <laughs> That's probably why their hand's not up. You know, the reality is at some level or another, we are very concerned. You know, do you like the car that I drive? Do you like the clothes I wear? Do you like my hairstyle? Do you think I'm funny? Do I fit in? Do you like my Instagram selfie? If I hold it here, I have two chins down here, four chins, whatever. Do you like this filter with my duck lips? You know, we, we just become so easily obsessed with what people think about us. And in this week's story, we're going to see Joseph battle with the opinions of other people. When he has to decide between what's easy and what's right, between what people want him to do and what God wants him to do. So let me set the context here and then we'll dive into the story. Joseph is engaged to be married to a young teenage virgin girl named Mary. Now engagements were a lot different in that day. Let me tell you, in our day, if you're engaged, things get a little weird. You just break it off. No big deal. Back in that culture, an engagement was a binding agreement. You would be engaged for a year's period of time. And if you wanted to break off the engagement, you had to get a divorce. So the only way you're getting out of engagement is either to die or file for divorce. It was actually so serious that if one of the two partners died prior to the marriage, right, the official ceremony, then that other person would be considered a widow or a widower. So that's what engagement meant. And with that in mind, let's pick up the story in Matthew 1.18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, you can just read this and just go right on past it. Or if you really put yourself into the minds of Mary and Joseph, this had to be one strange conversation, right? Mary sits down with her fiancé, Joey, honey bunches, uh, got something to tell you. Um, I'm pregnant, but don't, don't, don't jump to conclusions, okay? The good news is it's by the Holy Spirit. 
Now, yeah, if I'm Joseph, I'm like, and how long did it take you to come up with this story? You know, don't, don't give me this Holy Spirit. I, I, I saw the way that guy was checking you out at the well. Yeah, that just doesn't feel right. I mean, from a human perspective, Joseph's got two options, right? If you rule out the possibility that God did this, he's got two realistic options. She's either crazy or she's a liar, right? And I don't want to marry a lunatic or a liar. She says, I'm pregnant and the Holy Ghost did this. And so Joseph's got to be thinking to himself, okay, if I stay with this girl, what's everyone going to say about me? What are people going to think about us? Because from her perspective, she's already marked, okay? I mean, to be pregnant out of wedlock in that culture, that was a sin punishable by death. You would be stoned for that potentially. But from his perspective, he's marked for the rest of his life as well. I mean, if he's the one who got her pregnant or if somebody else did, he's just covering for her. I mean, he's going to have a hard time finding a job. Right? If he divorces her at this point, no other father is going to want to bless his daughter to marry this guy. He might find it difficult to do business transactions with other people. Right? He takes his donkey in for an oil change and, and they're like, no, we don't work on that kind of donkey this place, boy. Right? Because everybody's going to know what's going down. And so we don't know for sure what his mindset is, but what we do know from the text is that he is bailing on this relationship. He's done. He either doesn't believe her, he doesn't want to take the heat, whatever, but he decides it's best if we just move on down the road. And here's how it goes down, verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So he's bailing out of the relationship. Now, a lot of commentaries I read said that divorcing her quietly was a very noble and honoring thing to do. And I tend to agree from his perspective, at least, right? He doesn't want to expose her to public shame. He doesn't want to say, well, you know, she cheated on me. Let's stone her. I mean, she pro he probably really loves this girl, right? And, and he cares about her. And so he's thinking, well, maybe she can just go have this baby somewhere else and hopefully start over and I'll start over and we'll just move on down the road. And he's about to learn one of the most important life lessons for those who want to honor God. You ready for this? <laughs> Pleasing God often means disappointing people. If you're going to obey God, there are going to be many, many times when people are going to disagree with you, when people are not going to understand. Pleasing God often means disappointing people. So here's how the story goes down, verses 20 to 21. But after he, Joseph, <laughs> had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, and the King James Version says, fear not. The NIV says, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, when he wakes up from this dream, can you imagine the pendulum swing of emotions going on inside of Joseph's head? Oh my gosh, I mean, for centuries and centuries, it's been prophesied that the Messiah will come. And now this angel has just told me, I get to be a part of the greatest event in human history. Wow. But then the emotions swing the other way. Oh my gosh, what are people going to say about me? How much is this going to cost me? So on the one hand, I get to possibly change the world. On the other hand, how difficult will this be? I mean, everyone else is going to say to me, run for your life, buddy. Don't marry this girl who sinned and should be stoned. Should I do what people want me to do or should I do what God wants me to do? And I can promise you people, if you're a follower of Jesus, 
There are going to be points in your life when you're confronted with the opportunity to obey God or do what's easier to win the approval of people. And a very important life principle is this. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. And the reality is for most of us, we drift toward pleasing people. You know, what do you think about me? Do you like me? Do I fit in? Do I measure up? Am I cool enough? Can I be a part of your crowd? Right? I mean, do you think what I'm doing here is right? Can we be friends? Whatever it may be. And suddenly, without even realizing it, you surrender your life to the opinions of people at the expense of actually living to please God. You say, how do you overcome this? Well, the good news is, and this is so powerful, the flip side is true as well. Write this down. Becoming obsessed with what God thinks about you is the quickest way to forget what people think about you. Living for an audience of one. Saying, God, I want to please you with all that I do. That is the quickest, best, and perhaps only way to grow past living for the approval of others. And here's the bottom line. You can't please everyone. You can't please everyone. If you try to please people, you will fail at some point in time. right? Well, if I do my hair up this way, do you like it? And someone says, oh, yeah, now, now you're cool. And then another group says, no, that looks ugly. It makes you look fat, right? Well, if I listen to this kind of music, do I fit in? Well, yes, you do, and no, you don't. If I believe this politically, am I in? Yes, you are, and no, you're not. Well, how about I take a stand in the middle? Well, then we all hate you, okay? <clears throat> Whatever the case may be, if you try to please one group, you will displease another group. No matter how hard you try, you can't please people. Good news is, you can please God. You can please God. You can live a life where God looks at you and says, you did good. You did the right thing. You brought honor to my name. Well done, my good and faithful servant. So Joseph, he's got to get to the point where he says, you know what? I value the opinion of God above the opinion of other people. So how does this play out in our everyday lives? Well, let me give you two big thoughts that you can take with you and apply. I'll put them under the subtitle, living for God instead of for people. Let me give you two thoughts. The first one is this. If you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, you are not ready to be used by God. Take that to the bank. If you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, you're not quite ready to be used by God. Think about all the criticism Mary and Joseph would have taken. I mean, it's unreal. They would be constantly exposed to public shame, public disgrace, right? They're out in the streets. People will be whispering about them. Well, you know, that's not really Joseph's baby. Or, you know, they, they say it was the Holy Spirit, but I saw his donkey parked outside of her apartment at 2 a.m. You know, they weren't doing Bible study at 2 a.m., right? Whatever the story would be. I mean, this is a huge public disgrace, and I don't know how it's going to play out in your life, but I guarantee you there are going to be times when you're reading God's word and God asks you to do something that is unpopular culturally. When God lays something on your heart and if you're going to obey him, people are going to criticize you. I mean, maybe you're a teenager or a college student. You decide you're going to break free of the party lifestyle. And you're saying, you know what? I want to follow God. I want to honor God. I'm not getting drunk anymore. I'm not doing drugs anymore. And all of your party friends are going to say, what's wrong with you, you religious freako? Right? They're going to make fun of you. 
Or you say, regardless of what I've done in the past, from this point forward, I'm going to honor God with sexual purity. And your friends are going, what? That's the stupid, I mean, do you know the year we live in, how much fun you're passing up? That's crazy, you Jesus freak. They're going to make fun of you. Right? Or maybe all your friends are going to the beach for spring break and you say, you know what? I feel called to go and serve the poor on a missions trip. And they're like, why? Why would you spend your money to do that? And they'll mock you for it. Or maybe you decide I'm going to leave a high paying job for a lower paying job because God is calling me to do something significant with my life to make some kind of a difference. And I can do that better in this new job that doesn't pay as well. And people are like, why would you do that? I mean, life's all about the money, right? That's crazy. Or you stay in that high paying job and you say, I'm going to live beneath my means so I can give generously, sacrificially, radically. And people are like, what? Why, why, why would you do that? I mean, you have the opportunity to buy a great house and a boat, a yacht, sports car, travel all the time. Why wouldn't you do that? You say, well, this is what I believe God's calling me to do. And they may mock you for that. But unless you're ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, you're not ready to be used by God. There is a great, great leadership principle that goes like this. Anytime you do something significant, the more you do, the more pain you will experience. The more you do, the more pain you will experience. If you want to make a difference in this world, you will endure more pain than those who don't. Now, if you just want to float through life and have nobody criticize you, everybody like you, everybody speak well of you, right? If that's what you want, let me tell you what to do. Do nothing, stand for nothing, and have nothing, okay? That'll do it. You know, I choose the bullets. I mean, I would rather get shot at. I would rather do something significant in my life and get shot at than do nothing at all. And that's why I tell our leadership sometimes, if we're not being criticized, then we're not doing jack, and I'm dead serious. We can do nothing. Nobody's going to talk bad about us, right? But if we decide to move forward, we're going to experience some pain. We're going to experience some resistance. And I thought about this this past week, just about everything significant I've ever done in my life, personally in the church, has been met with resistance and criticism to some degree. Most anything significant you do will be met with spiritual resistance, spiritual criticism. And this is true in your personal life. It's true in your professional life. I mean, it's true across the board. It's crazy how true this is. For example, in, in my personal life, many, many years ago, Wendy and I, we decided we were going to homeschool our kids. Now, I have never, ever told other people that's what they ought to do. In fact, some of you, I know you, you shouldn't do that, okay? <laughs> Trust me. <clears throat> it's a personal decision, all right? We actually did all three. We homeschooled, we private schooled, and we public schooled with all three of our kids. But boy, when we homeschooled, there were people who looked at us like, oh, your kids are going to turn out weird. And I'm like, yep, because have you seen normal, right? <laughs> who wants that? Oh, you know, Brian, they're, they're going to grow up and wear denim skirts and make their own butter, right? <laughs> it's like, bring it on, bring it on. <laughs> you know, many years ago, when we decided to plant a campus at Sun City, whew, we faced criticism, big time. People questioned our motives. People attacked us. People left the church. It's never going to work. It's going to fail. And here we are seven years later, and we are bursting at the seams out there. Yeah, amen. Let's applaud that. <clears throat> we had like a couple hundred adults out there this morning. It's amazing. Most anything significant you do in life 
you're going to face resistance. You're going to face some kind of criticism. But if you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, you're not ready to be used by God. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you, that's the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. Becoming obsessed with what God thinks about you is the quickest way to forget what people think about you. Thought number one, if you're not ready to get shot at, you're not ready to be used. Thought number two, and this is gonna set some of you free, extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. Extraordinary acts of God often start with an ordinary act of obedience. Think about it. The savior of the world was born when two teenage kids said yes to God. A simple act of obedience. But if you put yourself in their shoes, I mean, it's crazy to think about. I mean, what did the angels tell him? You're gonna have a kid, he's gonna be named Jesus, and you know what, he's gonna save people. That's it. Like, no details. I mean, how are we gonna raise him? Are we gonna discipline him? Do, do, do we spank him? Do we put him in time out? I mean, he's the son of God, for crying out loud. <laughs> he's perfect. Maybe he's gonna spank us, put us in time out, yeah? I don't know. I mean, it's crazy. There's no details. And just like Mary and Joseph, so often we want to say, show me the details, God. Show me the details. And I think God would look at us and say, you can't handle the details, okay? <laughs> can't handle the details. If I, if I started, you wouldn't even take the first step forward. So they got no details. But this is what I so often embrace in life. You don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. You don't have to see the whole picture to put the first piece of the puzzle in place and trust God with the rest. Goes back to last week, right? Outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is ours. Outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is yours. And extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. And I'm telling you, you have no idea what you might set into motion with a simple, single, ordinary act of obedience to God. Let's say over the next couple of days, you invite someone to one of our Christmas services, Christmas Eve. You have no idea how you might change that life, how you might change their family, how you might leave a legacy throughout generations in that family by a single act of obedience because you responded to God's prompting to invite somebody. And I'm guessing God's gonna encourage a lot of you to do that. I hope you respond with that single act of obedience. Or maybe you decide you're going to serve here in the church. You have no idea who you might impact, how their life might be changed, how their life might come back to bless you, how you might be changed because you serve somebody else. And maybe all of a sudden, the high point of your week is when you're serving like Jesus and you find love, you find joy, you find fulfillment in that. Some of you, maybe you decide to start giving to the church and you look back one day and go, wow, I had no idea what God was gonna do in our lives or in our marriage or in our family or in our finances by that simple act of obedience. Some of you, maybe you decide to foster or adopt a child and you don't know all the details. Like, how are we gonna pull this off? And it's gonna cost this much and where are they gonna come from? Again, you don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. And so you just take that next step and that next step. And then years later, you look back and go, wow. I can't believe the difference we made in this life. Or maybe, even more surprising, I can't believe how this life changed our lives. You know, maybe, maybe you're a single guy and, and you see a single girl 
and God is prompting you to get off your single bud and sell your Xbox, okay? Get out of your mom's basement, iron a shirt, brush your teeth, ask her out. Do it. Someday you're going to have a son. You're going to name him Brian because God used me to help you get off your single butt, get some action in your single life. Glory to God, okay? All glory to him. You have no idea what you might set into motion with a simple, ordinary act of obedience. Extraordinary acts of God often start with an ordinary act of obedience. You know, becoming obsessed, though, with what other people want you to do. That's going to shut God out. So the angel speaks to Joseph. Let me reiterate this. He says, fear not, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So all that said, and now Joseph has a choice to make. What's he gonna do? Is he gonna do what's easy or he's gonna do what's right? Is he gonna do what people would want him to do or is he gonna want to do what God wants him to do? Don't become obsessed with what people think. Become obsessed with what God thinks. And in one little sentence, he makes his decision. And what's so encouraging to me is that I know, I know, I know that God is gonna prompt many of you to do something through his word or by his spirit. And one sentence can summarize your response. Here was Joseph's response, verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. He did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. And through that one act of obedience, the greatest act of God in mankind was brought to fulfillment. I'm telling you, you have no idea what you might set into motion through a simple, ordinary act of obedience. So when God speaks to you, you wrestle with it. What's easy? What's right? What do people think? What does God think? And there could be a single sentence that is a destiny-altering sentence for you. It would go like this. And you did what the Lord commanded you. Well, I promise you, you have no idea what you could set into motion with a single ordinary act of obedience when you do what our good God prompts you to do. Let's pray. Lord, over the last couple of weeks, I've just been <clears throat> overwhelmed by the relevance of the story of Mary, the story of Joseph to our lives today. Because we still wrestle with the fear of what other people think. We wrestle with disappointing other people. Oh, but from their perspective, they're going to perceive it this way. Or they're going to perceive it that way. They're not going to understand. So I've got to flex what I'm doing because of the way other people know. God, would you help us not to fall victim to that? That we would be obsessed with what you think, not what's going on in other people's minds that we would recognize we're going to have to disappoint people. And if we're not ready to be criticized, then truly we're not quite ready to be used. So God, would you help us to step forward, to take the bullets, take the criticism, take the attacks, and trust you. I pray that we would believe that extraordinary acts from you they can begin with a simple, ordinary action on our part. It was true 2,000 years ago, and it's still true today. So God, whatever it is, 
I pray for my brothers and sisters when they sense that little nudge, that little urging, that little prompting, this is what I should do. That they would respond to that and then watch you work in extraordinary ways. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.